If you've got your Acts journal, we're in page 22. And what's cool about today is that you get an entire page to take notes of this one. Page 22, we're starting in Acts 3, verse 11. Last week, Andrea talked about a lame beggar who was every day outside, was laid outside the beautiful gate in the, in the temple, outside the temple in Jerusalem. She also said she doesn't like Marvel movies, which I don't understand. However, she did do a fabulous job with the message, and I get to pick up and continue from where she left off. So, Andrea, thank you for doing a fabulous job last week. Uh, so, what in the world is the deal with this guy? It, it, it says that he was lame from birth. And when you go back and you look at the original language, it was more than just that. It was that, that there was no hope that this guy had. His, his bones were so misformed that there wasn't any chance in the world that he was ever going to be able to walk. It, the bones in his ankle specifically, Luke says, prevented him from really ever hoping to have any sort of a normal life. And, and what we have to be careful of is when we read passages like this, that we don't look past them and say, well, that's not me, I'm not there. What we need to do, and Luke is so good about bringing us into the story, what we need to do is we need to pay attention to where you and I are represented in the words that Luke records. And what we're going to see a little later on, and she touched on this last week, is that we're very much represented by this guy, this lame beggar that was outside the beautiful gate. And one of the things that Peter does today is he issues us a caution. And that's why we've got all this caution and yield and be careful, this stuff up here, because Peter wants to make sure that the people of his day knew the right way to go, and he wants to make sure that we know as well. And Luke records it in such a fantastic way, and there's so much depth to everything that he says. So Peter and John walk by this lame guy, and he's begging because that's what he did. And, and Andrea highlighted about he caught their gaze. They actually took time to look at them. And what he thought he wanted was money because that was the only thing he had no other way of acquiring on his own. But rather what they said is, we don't have what you want, but we've got something even better. We can give you Jesus. And so they gave what they had. They gave, gave him the only thing that really had any value in the first place. And they gave him Jesus. And then they make it very clear that it's Jesus that heals him, and the man leaps up, and he goes from ankles that he'd never been able to stand on to ankles that not only does he jump up on, but he lands on, all in the name of Jesus. They not just restored his ability to walk, but to leap, to run, head first into a new life. He was made a new creation in an instant, because Peter and John took the time to notice him. And what he did is he ran into the temple. That's what we're going to see next. He ran into the temple. He didn't run back to his old life. He didn't run back to what he knew and what he dealt with every single day. He ran into something brand new. He ran into the temple because now he was a personal witness to the power of Jesus in his life. And that same power of Jesus that healed that man is alive in you if you're a Christian, if you're a believer in Jesus today. So the first question I'm going to ask you is, what are you running to in your life? If Jesus is real to you, if, if you've been made a new creation, what are you running to? Do you keep running back to the same old life all the time? Or are you running to something new in the power of Jesus alive in you? See, his response is to run into the temple, the very same place that people had prevented him from ever going. It actually wasn't his ankles that kept him from going into the temple. It was the people. 
And the people prevented him from going into the temple because he wasn't perfect. He wasn't like all the rest of them. They didn't want him, an imperfect person, being in this place where their perfect God resided. And so he was stuck on the outside. And that's the first caution that we've got to see in this one. I don't ever want to be a church that doesn't welcome people because we've decided they're imperfect. Because we all are. I want to be the church that welcomes everybody. You know what? If there's stuff that people have to get figured out, if God needs to deal with it, if they need to clean some stuff up in their thinking or their living, God will do that, but let's welcome them. Let's be a gathering of imperfect people who each in our own sinful way love and trust a perfect Savior because that's the guy that this beggar encountered was the perfect Jesus. And it changed his life in an instant. So verse 11, chapter 3, verse 11, or page 22 in your journals. While he, and that's this lame beggar now, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, and I love that phrase, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. So this guy jumps up and he runs into the temple. He grabs onto Peter and John. Everybody in the temple is utterly astonished, and they run to the man. What is it that they're running to? They're running to the power of the Holy Spirit at live a work among them. They don't understand that yet. Peter's going to help make that clear. But you got to understand, the guy jumps and he runs, and everybody that's in the temple jumps and runs to him. That had to have been quite an event. Why did he cling to Peter and John? Because Peter and John represented the connection that he had to life. They represented the connection that he had to healing, to fullness of being. The, the only Jesus this man had ever met was the Jesus that Peter and John brought to him. And so I have to ask you, who is looking to see Jesus in you? Who knows that you go to church and who is looking for you to just, just share a little bit of Jesus with them? Just a little bit of why you would take time out of your week and come to a place like this on a Sunday morning. Why would you say that you believe in Jesus when so much of the culture around you wants to make fun of that? He clings to Peter and John because they were the ones that represented Jesus to him. And all of the people are utterly astonished. This miracle of healing was undeniable. Everybody knew who this guy was. No one had given him the time of day. They might have tossed him a half a penny, but they had never given him any time or attention. All of a sudden, this man who they know from begging on the mat outside the beautiful gate is walking and jumping and no doubt laughing, and I would have loved to have seen his face before their eyes. Can you only imagine what his expression would be? Can you imagine the way the Holy Spirit would have just poured out of his eyes and his face and his heart because he literally was given a new life. He was a new creation in Christ Jesus. When we look at the Greek that describes him, his life was one of utter despair. It was, as far as the people were concerned, hopeless and worthless. And I get so encouraged by these verses, and then I ask myself, what's happened? What's happened? In in 2,000 years ago, we would be the temple. We're the church, the, the building, but we're the people. Are we really going to be the ones that walk by folks like this? Are we going to be the ones that celebrate, welcome, and invite guys like this? See, the people ran to the healed man. But what they saw was not just the healed man, and they didn't know it at the time, but they saw the presence of the Holy Spirit. And the presence of the Holy Spirit on a believer in Jesus looks really good. 
And it drew a crowd. It drew a big crowd. Luke says that the man used the running and the jumping in the audience that he had to praise God. That's what he did. What he did with this new found strength, these new legs, and he got to run into the temple, the place that people had prevented him from going, he went to praise God. He didn't go back to his old life with new power. He went headfirst into a life he'd never experienced before. See, the Holy Spirit is the real attraction. To a believer who has given their life to Jesus, who's filled with the Holy Spirit, the attraction isn't us and our power or whatever good we might think that we do. The attraction is the Holy Spirit in us. And I wonder about us as a church. I wonder, I wonder about me. What about you? If you've accepted the free gift of salvation in Jesus, are you living as a healed person? Are you living as someone who's been made whole, who's a new creation in Jesus, and, and are you using your life to praise God? Or are you just taking whatever God might have fixed and continuing on the old way? Because this guy didn't go back to his old way. He couldn't. He had been radically transformed, and there was no going back. And, and I've seen so many angry and discouraged and manipulative and resentful and deceitful people who call themselves Christians but do nothing to praise God through the moments of their life, whether they be big or small. And so what about you? If, if you've been changed by Jesus, what's the message that you have for the people around you? Verse 12, and when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. What Peter saw was all of these people running to this healed man. And so he sees it as an opportunity for a sermon. And he says, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? See, Peter knew what he was talking about. Peter had been down the wrong road before. He saw this as an opportunity to preach to people who had the same religious education he had, the same expectations of God that he had, but who had not yet met Jesus in a way that changes their lives. See, so many preachers and so many Christians want to take credit for the things that God does through us that we get to be witness to or get to be a part of. We want to take credit for it as though we actually have some role in it. But Peter gives us a good response, a good example for how we're supposed to handle moments like that. I love this line of his. Why do you wonder at this, this incredible miracle they've witnessed? Why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety or goodness we've made them walk? Peter's first words to the people who have been utterly astonished is to say, don't look at us because we didn't do it. It isn't our power. It isn't our piety. It isn't our goodness that made this happen. Why would you look at us? Why in the world would you look at us as though we had anything to do with it? See, Peter knew the devastating results of pride. Peter knew what it was to think more of himself than he really should have. Remember, Peter was the one that said he'd love Jesus forever. That he'd love him more than anybody else. And then Jesus, Peter was the one that denied Jesus three times. Peter was the one that said, Jesus, you know what? Send me out. Take me out in the water. Just tell me to walk to you. And Jesus says, okay, come on, Peter. And Peter starts walking on the water. And he realizes, I can't do this. And he starts to sink because he was worried about his own power, not the power of the one who invited him. Peter understood what it was to fail, thinking he was more powerful and more pious than he really was. 
Peter understood that he needed Jesus to restore him, to bring his faith back, to bring his calling back. See, Peter knew that alone he was worthless because he'd proved it over and over and over. But with Jesus, there was nothing he couldn't do. And so he was very quick to make sure that the credit for this healing didn't go to him, but that it went to John and, and to Jesus. Excuse me, it went to Jesus. So what about this power? What, what, what about this power that healed the man? It's 2,000 years later, and some people in the church say, well, that, that doesn't happen anymore. God doesn't work that way. You know what? The Bible makes it clear that the same power that healed this man is alive in everyone who calls upon the name of Jesus as their Lord and Savior. If that's you, if you call yourself a Christian, the only real power in church, the real power in the world, is the same power that's in you and I. And we get it confused. We've got politicians and celebrities and we've got athletes and uh, we've got billionaires and people just like you and I who think that they've got a lot more power than they really think they have. And what they're going to find out one day is that power that they think that they have control of is really just a mist that's going to disappear like fog in the morning as soon as the light of Jesus shows up. See, Peter directs the credit to where it should go. It directs not to he and to John, but to Jesus. And that's a caution for all of us. That's a warning sign for all of us, not to be too impressed with what we think we have in power or piety. So Peter's going to start speaking to the people of Israel again. And Peter is an interesting preacher because I've apologized sometimes. I don't do it anymore. Uh, but I used to apologize and say, you know, this is going to be one of those messages that might step on your toes a little bit, kind of as a warning sign. Here's the deal with Peter. Peter carries a sledgehammer and he doesn't give a warning. And Peter just starts hammering away on people's toes. That's the kind of preacher he is. And so verse 13, he says, The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus. What he's doing is saying, I understand your religious history. I understand who it is that you're looking to. You're looking to the God of the greats of our faith, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers. He says, that God glorified his servant Jesus. And then he brings out the sledgehammer and he says, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when Pilate had decided to release him. You denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. Peter's doing what we don't like to do. Peter's doing what preachers don't like to do. Peter's calling out the ugly truth that is in their hearts. He's calling out the ugly truth that their actions had brought to life. See, he says, you chose death and a murderer over life and the giver of life. And so we got to pause here and ask the obvious question, what do you choose? Do you choose Jesus and God's will for your life, or do you choose yourself and your own will for your life? Peter's making sure that they understand that there's a choice that needs to be made, and up until now they had chosen poorly. He goes on and he says, And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this were witnesses. So he's reminding them that you killed him, but that wasn't enough because God raised him from the dead. To this were witnesses, and by his name, by faith in his name. Are you listening? We need to hear this. By Jesus' name and by faith in his name has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of all of you. Jesus, the very one you denied. Jesus, the very one you demanded be crucified the one who you betrayed and delivered over to those who could put him to death, the one you demanded 
to have released was a murderer. And the one that you demanded to be crucified was the one who could bring you life. See, he says, this man has been given perfect health by the man that you killed. But he's alive. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as also your rulers. He's letting them off the hook a little bit. So he's backing off the sledgehammer. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that this Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. He's letting him off the hook, but he's saying, all of the scriptures that you lean back on, all of the greats of the faith, all of the fathers that you're so proud of, God, more than any of that, God promised this Jesus. This is the one God has fulfilled those prophecies and those scriptures that you have been trusting and you have been waiting for have been fulfilled in your sight. So so the question then is left for them and the question is left for us, what do we do now? See, we can't say that we don't know Jesus. We can't say we don't know what power Jesus has. We can't say we don't understand what Jesus can do in intervening in a human life. But we do have to ask, what do we do now? See, Peter's direct and in-your-face style of preaching brings people to a place of decision. We know that because we looked two weeks ago. His first sermon, 3,000 people were saved. They called on the name of Jesus as their Savior and were baptized. We're not going to find out today the result of this sermon just yet. But Peter brings people to a place of decision. And that's why his preaching was so powerful. See, they can't deny their role in the death of Jesus any more than they can deny the fulfillment of the prophecies of their own scriptures. They also can't deny the miracle of the man standing before them, the man that they ignored at the gate every time they walked into the temple, just like Jesus, whom they ignored and then demanded to be killed. But before we go any further, we've we got to ask the obvious question, what about you? Maybe you identify with this beggar. Maybe you need to be healed. Maybe what you really need, what's keeping you from, from a full relationship with Jesus, is something in you still feels broken. Maybe it's a physical thing. Maybe it's an emotional thing, a heart thing, or a head thing, or a history thing. What is it that you need to have healed? See, Jesus can do that. He can heal you, and all we have to do is ask and trust. Maybe that's what needs to happen. What do you need to do to be healthy? Maybe it's simply believing and calling on the name of Jesus. Maybe it's time to stop going forward every day in your own power, and what you believe is your own piety, and you need to go forward in the power of Jesus. What do you need to do to come to Jesus? See, the the reality is, you and I, just like the people in Peter's day, are no better than that man who was born lame from birth. I don't care what you have. I don't care how great your job is or how great your retirement portfolio or how big your house or how many cars are in your garage. Without Jesus, you're nothing better than a beggar. The Bible makes that so clear. We're crippled just like he was by our sin. We're crippled by our sin and it it stops us from ever being able to move forward into the life that God has created us for. We're crippled by our selfish choices. And we create ourselves to be beggars. And we think that money will solve the problem or or a new truck or a new house or a better job or or a higher pay, more of a paycheck. None of that stuff is going to solve anything of what's broken in us. It's not going to really solve our problems. The truth is none of those things are going to solve what really is wrong with our hearts. None of those things will heal a broken and a sinful heart. Jesus alone can do that. So what do we do? Well, we've got the option of heeding Peter's words. 
We've got the option of paying attention to the warning signs and the caution. And we've got the opportunity to pay attention to the road that Peter would lay out before us. He says in verse 19, Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Realize that the beggar did not turn back. The beggar went forward because he'd been healed. Repentance is when we say, I'm not going to continue the life that I've been living, and I'm going to turn and I'm going to live a new life. And that's what this beggar did. He chose to run headfirst into the temple. Why? The times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. He's saying you had a chance with Jesus and then you killed him, but God raised him from the grave and he's in heaven now. And there's going to be a time where you're just going to have to wait. But you need to figure out what it is that you believe about him. So how about you begin with repenting? Turn back to your first love, Jesus, that our sins might be forgiven and blotted out forever. It sounds so simple. But to repent, to to truly repent, requires so often things that we don't want to do. It requires us to give up things that we like. It requires us to change things that we don't want to change. It requires us to make different choices and maybe to choose different friends and maybe to choose a different path through life. When you know what? We like the path that we're on even though it makes us miserable. To repent means that we have to live in a way that is intentionally living for Jesus, not intentionally living apart from Him for ourselves. Verse 22, Moses said, he goes back to one of their fathers, Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet will be destroyed from the people. Who is he talking about? He's talking about the very one that they had put to death. But it's interesting because Peter does something with the Greek here that we can't do in English. He has a play on words. And he's tying the first part of this passage to this part. See, the, the Greek paints pictures as you understand the words. And, and translating it from English, the pictures get lost. But when you actually speak and understand the Greek, there's a very colorful picture that gets painted. And the point that, that Luke is trying to convey in his words, that for this guy, his life was, was hopeless. It was as good as over. And now he, he turns to these people that have come running to hear what Peter has to say. And he uses the word destroyed. And, and destroyed, it, it meant to be demolished. The prophet shall be destroyed from the... Listen to the prophet shall be destroyed from the people. Destroyed is to be demolished. It's to lose one's well-being. To be ruined. To live a worthless existence. Peter turns the tables on these guys and he says... You felt bad for him because he was a beggar outside the gate. You're the ones to be pitied. Because you're being destroyed and you don't even know it. You're choosing to believe something that isn't even true. He tells them that that they're living the very life the beggar lived prior to being healed. They just don't know it. And, And without Jesus, so are we. We're the beggar trying to make it through on our own, asking for scraps. Without Jesus, we live on the crumbs that the world calls success and prosperity and wealth and happiness. And yet we're left empty and hungry for more. And Jesus is our more. And Peter is trying to make that clear to these people who knew it all but didn't believe any of it. 
verse 24, and all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel going way back into the Old Testament and those who came after him also proclaimed these days, the days that they were living in. You are the sons of the prophets, he tells them, and of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, that's Jesus, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Jesus was sent to them first to be a blessing to them that they might turn from their wickedness. And they hung him on a cross and had him put to death. Peter tells them that Jesus is the fulfillment of the promises that God has made that they have spent their whole lives hearing about in temple. They're blessed because of Jesus. They're given new life in Jesus, but will they repent? Will they turn from their hardened hearts back to him? So the question that we have to ask is, where are we in the story? And will you? Do you need to? See, the very same power that raised that beggar 2,000 years ago is available to you, can be alive in you every day of your life if you put your faith and hope and trust in Jesus. See, Peter's saying Jesus came first as the Savior for Israel. He came for you to be a blessing to you. But Jesus also came to earth to live and to die for you and I, for the forgiveness of our sins. For us to repent and to believe and like that beggar to have a new life. But what do you do with that? What is your decision? What is going to be your action step? Next week, we're going to take a look at the results of this sermon. Now, remember the last sermon, Peter set a really high bar. 3,000 people believed in Jesus, were saved, and were baptized. We'll see what happens next week to the sermon we looked at today. But I want to ask you a very simple question. Don't worry about those people from 2,000 years ago. We'll get to their history. What about you? What is your response? What will you do? Will you listen? Another sermon. I picked up some interesting history. That's great, but I'm not going to make a change. Or are you going to say, you know what, I'm tired of living my life on my terms. I'm ready to repent and to believe. Just like the man born lame, Jesus came to give you a new life, to make you a new creation in him. The question is, will you accept that? So what will be the story of your life? We're reading the story of a man whose name we don't even know. What will be the story of your life? What will people say about you after you're gone? What will they say that you believed in and was important to you? Because for some of us, they're going to say, you know what? He really liked his stuff. He really liked his job. He was really impressed with himself. She really thought she was a big deal. And then for some of us, they're going to say that we lived a life of joy for Jesus and for others and then for ourselves. For some of us, they're going to say that we were the ones that ran headfirst into life, praising God just like the beggar who understood that that's all that he was. And so the question is, what will you do? And if you need to get yourself right with Jesus, maybe to come back to him or maybe to to accept him for the first time, what are you waiting for? Let's pray. God, thank you for Peter, for his powerful preaching. Thank you for the way that um, we can so relate to him because he had a big ego from what we can read. He was awful impressed with himself, which is easy for us to do. He thought his faith was a lot stronger than it really was. He made promises he couldn't keep. He stepped out on water that the only reason he was able to walk on it was because of Jesus. And when he started thinking, he started sinking. There's an awful lot that we can learn from Peter. But Peter also was changed. He was transformed. He became a new creation because of his relationship with Jesus. And that's what you want for us. Just like this beggar, 
who became a new creation because of the power of Jesus. That's what you want for us as well. God, help us to be honest. Honest with ourselves and honest with you. And if repentance, Peter's call to repentance is what we need. God, through your Holy Spirit, give us the courage to do that. To just simply come to you and say, I'm sorry, I don't want to live that way anymore. In Jesus' name, amen.